Season two of Breaking Beta is brought to you by Gnarly Nutrition. After the episode, use the code BETA15 for 15% off of your next order at gonarly.com or click the link in your show notes to have the code automatically applied. Gnarly Nutrition. Push your possible with science-backed, delicious sports nutrition. Yo, why would you want to do this lame-ass job anyway? I mean, no, no offense. Because I'm on probation, yo. Gotta prove to the man I'm rehabilitated. Upstanding citizen. All that shit. It's really good exercise, too. But you can't just stand there. You have to spin the arrow. There's all these moves you have to learn, like the helicopter. Right? Wow. Yeah. See? Yeah? That one's a bitch. Uh, I'm not very good at it yet. Now you, uh, you really opened my eyes to the possibilities. Yeah. Question here, Paul, is have you mastered the helicopter yet? Guess not. I don't even know what um, <laughs> bucket we'd put that one in, huh? <laughs> it's not one of the moves that they're trying to measure in this paper. Um, doesn't necessarily come into play in sport climbing, but comp bouldering, however, you might have to master the helicopter. Yeah. So. I guess I'd be a strong one at the helicopter if we go by this uh, rubric. <laughs> Open your eyes to the possibility, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we are here to discuss a paper called Climbing Performance Analysis, a novel tool for the assessment of rock climbers' movement performance. Authors are Nicola Taylor, Dave Giles, Misha Panakova. James Mitchell, Joel Chidley, and Nick Draper. Uh, some names in there that we recognize from some other papers we've looked at. It's in the Journal of the International Journal of Sports Physiology and Performance, January 2020. Purpose was to assess the validity and reliability of a novel movement performance assessment tool for climbing and sport climbing. And I think this is a cool uh, thing to be looking at. You know, we've done a lot of looking at finger strength, at looking at other uh, strength metrics that are relatively easy to measure. How can we measure movement performance? That's a tricky question. Mm -hmm. And like when I started looking through this and started looking through some of the categories and seeing how they were setting things up, my first like knee jerk reaction was to immediately balk at this. I'm like, you can't even measure these things. You're just like, right. why would you even do this? Like, People are missing the forest for the trees. And maybe I was just in a bad mood and I was reading the paper too. That's always a chance. But, um, you know, <laughs> as sure. we went further into how they set it up, like, you know, I think we could have gotten some good things out of this. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I think it's really interesting um, some of the ways they set it up. Uh, I'm really interested once we're wrapping this up to hear what directions you would go in the future. But uh, let's get this thing started. You clearly don't know who you're talking to, so let me clue you in. I'm Paul Corsaro. I'm Chris Hampton. Lucky two guys are just guys, okay? And you're listening to Breaking Beta. Where we explore and explain the science of climbing. And with our skills, you'll earn more than you ever would on your own. We've got work to do. Are you ready, 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 ready? I think I'm about a five on the ready scale. <laughs> I have been, this is a topic I've been exploring um, in my head and with Nate and uh, you and I and some of the other coaches have talked about it uh, quite a bit over the years. Um, it's a tough topic, so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm ready. Let's, uh, let's get into the methods. 
In a scenario like this, I don't suppose it is bad form to just flip a coin. So when we dig into how they set the study up, it's similar to when we go back to our Better Call Paul episode, I believe, um, where they developed the IRCRA. Pretty much, you know, they did a two-part, and they did a similar setup for looking at this uh, CMPAT test. So the first step was figuring out what they were going to look at. So they went back to that Delphi method, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, a repeated iterative process of talking about what categories do you feel is important to include in this test. Um, should we include it? Should we not? Is there anything we missed? All right, let's go back around. And they went through as many times they need with the people they select for this process and come to a consensus on like, all right, this is what needs to be in this test. So they went through that Delphi process with 10 expert coaches of regional and national level. So, and they were just looking at how do we categorize and score climbing movement. And some of the things that were important for this was they're looking for factors that are common to all climbing movements. Um, they shouldn't be tied to a specific move. So like we're not looking at a drop knee per se, or I think they cite a rock over in the study, but more global characteristics of movement and performance, I think is how I would describe it for how you move. And um, so after that process, they came upon five categories of movements split into 14 items. So I'll just jump into the, mo- the categories real quick. So the first category was base of support which was accuracy and precision, and and the other subcategory was adjustments. The second category was transitioning movement, and in that category we have dynamic balance, fluidity and linking, exploratory movements, and sequencing. The third bucket or category was coordination, which consists of movement initiation, extension, and body tension. Uh, The fourth bucket is technique, which is repertoire of movement skills and techniques. And then the uh, fifth category is tactics. So tempo, commitment, and confidence, rests, and clipping. So for all of these things, you can score someone on this performance assessment test, score of one to five. So one would be you know, poor or non-existent. And then five would be flawless demonstration of skilled performance. If only we were doing a Mortal Kombat uh <laughs> Mortal Kombat podcast, we could put the flawless victory clip in there. Flawless victory. There it is. Perfect. Um, but yeah, so, and you would score all these movements, and that way you could look at the average score for either those larger categories or really drill down into these specific movement qualities, if you will. So that's in a rough kind of broad brush, I would say, is what the performance assessment test looks at. Mm-hmm. Um. And then do you have anything you want to say on that first part? Uh, no, I don't think so. Other than, you know, I'll make sure we have – they've got a nice table in here that uh, mm-hmm. explains all of these these five different categories that I'll make sure we have in our blog posts and in the social posts so you guys will be able to see that. Sweet. So, you know, the second part of the study is looking at, hey, does this actually look at what we're trying to get it to look at and does it explain it well? So what they did is they took 61 climbers, 14 of them are female – you know, we can, we're always going to talk about the ratio of that, right? Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, 14 of them are female out of the 61. So that leaves 47. Wow. So, you yeah. did that way faster than I can. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so that leaves 47 <laughs> male climbers. Um, they found their self-reported climbing ability. They've used, uh, the three, three method for on-site. It looks like, so mm-hmm. what their on-site grade was, uh, from six, a to six C plus or, uh, 510B to 511C or IRCRA 11 to 16, whichever uh, skill you want to put it under. Um, mm-hmm. 
So what they did is they took these four experienced coaches, watched these individuals um, climb an on-site, or on-site climb a route that was about 14 meters in length about 1.6 meter overhang. I had to uh, bust out my old high school trigonometry skills. I think it's, you know, six, seven degrees overhanging. I could mm-hmm. very much be wrong on that. So what, what we call slab these days. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so they were asked to complete the route. And uh, so they would just climb the route and a video camera was set up to where these four experienced coaches would watch the video and it was randomized and they would score the people on that, the CM Pat test based on their performance. So they were looking at, you know, either these cate- cate- uh, one of the five categories, seeing how well that matched up to how well they a performed on the route or how well that matched up to their self-reported uh, climbing ability and right. just their overall score. So they're going to see, is this predictive? Is this reflective of what's actually happening in reality? So that was the second phase of the study. Yeah. And, and there were some quantitative measures as well mm-hmm. uh, when they were watching the videos those included uh, success or failure you know did they fall did they succeed uh, the climbing time um, their pace of ascent and the geometric entropy um, while they were climbing and geometric entropy is this interesting thing that's been looked at in quite a few papers I've seen um, in trying to um, measure whether someone, moved well across a specific route or boulder or whatever. Uh, It's used in speed climbing quite a bit to say how well did your ascent do. And maybe, maybe I'm not explaining this correctly, but I think it essentially is how much are you deviating from the center line sort of um, while you're climbing. Um, So that's what I gathered too. I had to read that paragraph because I hadn't really seen the geometric entropy mm. uh, side of things and just the stuff I've looked at. Um, so I had to read that paragraph like four or five times to try and grasp what was happening there. But I think, I think I like what you said, where it says like, "How far are you deviating from that center line?" I yeah, guess. and I, you know, I that's certainly a very simplified <laughs> way to to look at it. Um, and I'm sure someone who is really experienced in this is going to take issue with what I said, but you know, I would love it if you would post a more, a more, uh, appropriate definition. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also one thing in here I want to just take a look at before we move on. Um, they defined skill as they were doing these, you know, these refinement of their, what they had decided on measuring, Uh, They define skill as the ability to coordinate a series of complex whole body movements to ascend a predefined route with economy of movement. And I think this is a really great definition. Mm -hmm. My only uh, gripe with it would be um, maybe we should say something more to the effect of to ascend a predefined route with individually necessary economy of movement. Um, because I'm not sure that we as climbers who are trying to get to the top of a route to succeed care about whether we're being, our movement is economical all the time. If we know we have it to spare, we might use some extra power. Are we still getting there? You know, um, I'm not sure if that's the best definition. I think that's what my like immediate like visceral reaction was to balk at how we're trying to categorize this movement here. Cause you know, I'm a big believer as there's no recipe, like everything's a little bit different. Like how can we formulate this? How can we 
make this strict rubric of movement when everyone moves different and the solution to the movement can be different for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So I it's, think that I think it's definitely tough. Yeah. 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 And I, you know, sometimes there's a reason not to be economical with your movement. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes you make the choice to not be as efficient. Um, so I, it's a, it's a toss up for me, whether, whether we try to make that definition better or whether we just move on with it, because like we've said many times, you have to say something, you have to, mm-hmm. you have to stand for something when you're starting these, you know, this research. And, mm-hmm. and I think they do a good job of it here. I think so too. Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, let's take a break and we'll be back with the results and what we think about it. Please. All right. I really need a break here. Okay. Like many of us who are focused on performance, I'm a creature of habit. I spent the first 45 years of my life always choosing chocolate over vanilla. Every. Single. Time. Well, not anymore. Gnarly Vanilla Way changed all that. Whether it's sprinkled over my breakfast cereal or blended with fruit, gnarly creatine, and gnarly collagen for a pre-session snack, vanilla has taken over as the flavor of choice. Responsibly sourced, nothing artificial, and also available in a vegan version, Gnarly Protein comes in a steel can that's infinitely recyclable. The nutrition science is good, and they care about the environment. (laughs) Now, don't get me wrong. I still keep a can of chocolate protein in the cabinet because mixing chocolate and vanilla together is the best recovery protein drink around. You just have to try it for yourself. Use code BETA15, that's B-E-T-A-1-5, for 15% off your next order at GoGnarly.com, or click the link in the show notes to have the code automatically applied. Let's all go back to work, for Christ's sake, okay? All right, we have returned. Um, I'm going to go just through some of the results that we saw here and, you know, what they say in the paper, the claims that they make, and... What I'm more interested in is dis- our discussion about it, you know, because mm-hmm. we're both um, coaches who think a lot about this. And, and I think they do some really interesting things here. So uh, they looked at the reliability between the observer scores, uh, the coaches who were scoring the climbers on the videos. That reliability was excellent. Uh, the test retest reliability was excellent. Um, the differences in the performance descriptors between ability groupings were significant for all of the characteristics, including the total and the the subscale, the individual categories. Um, the CMPAT, which uh, I don't know if we ever said what CMPAT means in this case. It is the Climbers Movement Performance Assessment Tool. Um, the CMPAT scores explain... of variance in the climbing performance compared to 16% for geometric entropy and 52% for climbing pace. So some of these more um, quantitative scores didn't do quite as well as the CMPAT, which is more qualitative and based on the movement of the climber as these coaches are observing it. So I think that's really interesting that... Mm -hmm. You know, and and makes sense to me as well that if you have a an expert coach there who's looking for specific things in the movement, that's going to tell us a little more about the climbing performance than these really quantitative measurements that we can come up with. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it's kind of good that for how they designed the study, that was the big thing they're looking at too. I felt, right. I felt like that was more of the primary variable they were exploring here. And they just had the opportunity to look at these other things as well. But I think there probably would have been a little bit more, not necessarily concerned, but disappointment if the uh, CM Pat scores hadn't come out to be, you know, significant and reliable and valid and all those uh, things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about the methods used to reach the reliability, um, both between the Raiders and the test retest. Mm-hmm. Um, in the test retest, they reduce it down to only one of the four Raiders. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that really stood out to me is that all four of these Raiders, as we're calling them, were coached in what to find until consistency across the group was achieved. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was just one route used for the actual testing. Um, so they were able to get a feel for this is how this route is supposed to be climbed. Um, and I don't think that's going to be the case very often when you're coaching somebody. Um, no. More often, you're going to be guessing how it's supposed to be climbed based on their movement. But when they're watching several people climb it, they get a better idea of, was this correct? Was this incorrect? And I'm, I'm using air quotes for all of the correct, incorrect there. Um, so I don't, I don't know if we're getting a good idea of how this might be used in real life. I would say maybe, you know, since they're looking at these global categories of movement, hopefully when they were doing these, this instruction on how to use the scale, they were really stressing, like, don't try and like peg in your head, like, you know, the move from this hold to this hold should happen this way. We got to keep it to these broad concepts because definitely keeping it to just one route could lead someone to get not necessarily tricked, but just led down the wrong path of starting to view it as, oh, this is the the dead point move, you got to do the dead point move, right? As opposed to you've got to maintain your balance or your tension through that move or so on right. and so forth. Yeah, They might be trying to triangulate your movements. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that, that was a concern for me. I, I hope you're right that the coaches were able to recognize that that could be a possibility and they could sort of sidestep that by looking at the movement qualities as opposed to just the movement choices, um, mm-hmm. which also needs to be looked at. Right. You know, in the techniques category, do we have the right repertoire of movement? So it's tough to parse that out, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, I love that in the beginning of the paper, they mentioned they weren't focusing on specific techniques, which Mm -hmm. I think is a trap for a lot of coaches. Um, But they are focusing on factors that are present in all climbing movement. That's one of the things they when they went through that iterative process, they decided to do. Um, I do think it's really hard to do that in practice. I, mm-hmm. I appreciate the the theory of doing that, but as soon as we start defining these subscales using words like correct or appropriate or perfectly, things like that, um, which they do quite often in here, I think we're asking the coaches to decide if they chose the correct technique and if they applied it correctly when it could be you know, different for everybody. So I think there has to, you, there has to be an understanding that there's got to be some wiggle room here. Um, Mm -hmm. So not saying they did this wrong or in a bad way, just that we as readers, as coaches, as practitioners need to understand that this is not a quantitative thing. 
It's not set in stone. Mm -mm. And you shouldn't be like trying to score a 3.9 on a climb. Like, right. You know, that's also really important. Uh, How do we communicate this to the climbers? And then does the goal become to score better? Um, That could lead us astray pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I guess, you know, my, I, when we get into the discussion, I guess we'll talk about some more thoughts I have there. If you're cool with that. Yeah, totally. Um, a couple more things about, um, just the same line of thinking. I, I think there are some cliches in there that they, they fall victim to like mentioning several times, quiet feet and straight arms. Um, I would, you know, in the hands of an experienced coach who doesn't speak in absolutes, those are really great tools. Um, but they're very often taken too far by newer coaches. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think it's slippery and there just needs to be some better definition inside of here. Um, I think that knowing who the coaches were and understanding their expertise would be helpful for me in understanding the results here. Mm -hmm. Cause yeah, I think we just had just uh, years of, Years of years of coaching experience, I think, was the only qualifier that was in this paper, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. Yeah. yeah, they they do make the claim that the CMPAT offers coaches a reliable observational tool that can differentiate between ability groups and successful and unsuccessful climbers, while also providing coachable information, improving on existing performance measures and observational tools. How do you feel about that statement? I don't think the groundwork has been laid to say that yet. I think maybe a first step towards this line of inquiry was made by this paper. And you know, it backs up for that first step. But I mean, you looked at the route was, I think the onsite route was a 10 C and we looked at climbers from, you know, all under five eleven for this initial study, you know, and they even mentioned this in their paper. They need to look at this with climbers who are climbing at a higher level climbers with more experience. Um, like I said, they only, we only looked at one route. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's backed up for what they did here, but I don't think this is the groundwork necessary to say this is a tool that can be used. It is a signpost to maybe saying, Hey, this could be an interesting area to further explore. And, um, personally, like I said, I balked at first when I read it, but you know, the more I think about it, I think if this research continues and continues to come out and be convincing and it expands on what we looked at here, I think it could lead to something that could be useful to, you know, highlight, Hey, maybe we can direct our movement coaching to focus on this area based on, you know, what we've seen, what bucket we put things in. I think that is really interesting and there's potential there, but this isn't a tool I'm pulling out of my toolbox right now. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't think the statement is entirely accurate. Um, I agree to a degree, uh, but I think, we would have to specify during an on-site and a very narrow grade window. Mm-hmm. Um, this might be an act, you know, a reliable observational tool depending on your coaching experience. Um, yep. I don't think any coach can just come in and use this. Um, right. So I think that needs to be part of this, this claim that they're making. Um, and like you said, they definitely recognize a lot of the shortcomings in this paper Um, which I think is great. I think anytime you're going into uh, 
doing one of these studies and you're going to put it out into the world. If your study, you know, doesn't show exactly what you hoped it did, or if it shows that something is only 50% reliable, say in this case, you know, I think it explained 61 or 62% of uh, the differences in their climbing ability. Mm-hmm. You're not seeing something with a hundred percent. So some people are going to say, Oh, not valid, you know? Right. Um, and I think then coming in at the end of the paper and saying, here are the shortcomings is the smart way to go. And it's like, we've talked about a lot. It's, it's good science. It's what we like to see in these papers. And I think maybe better than anything that's where they did a really fantastic job in this paper of saying these mm. are some of the shortcomings um they mentioned that the quantitative measures fail to give any actionable information um they question the relevance of things like uh, pacing due to a bunch of different factors that are um, unique to different climbers which I'm glad I would have raised an eyebrow otherwise, because we all know yeah. people climb at wildly different speeds and yeah, pace. Yeah. Just what exactly. we've all seen from observational experience, like there, I don't think there's an optimal pace for any climb ever. No, but, not not yeah. at all. It totally depends on the climber, and you know they recognize that their group has a super narrow window of ability, um, mm-hmm. and. Maybe most important, they mentioned that the use of this tool, the CMPAT, might be limited both in research and the general community due due to the fact that you have to be an expert coach who followed a specific training, you know, Mm -hmm. for what they say to be reliable. Um, So uh, I appreciate that they come in at the end of this with, hey, this is what we tried. This is how it went but here are all these caveats. Mm-hmm. What do you think comes next from this? Um, you I said think, it's a, it's a tool that, you know, needs to be expanded upon and looked at more. So what do you think comes next? I think the next step, just something that seems that could, I don't know if they've done the study or they're working on this. Um, it seems like there's, uh, places they want to take this tool in the future, just from reading mm-hmm. the paper. Like, I don't think this is the end of it. Um, I mean, it seems like the next one is looking at it with higher grade rock climbers, seeing right. like, does this expand out to, you know, 514 and up, you know, if we get 510 to 514 and it's at least reliable and valid, I think that gives us or gives the researchers good, good reason to keep digging further along the lines on maybe solidifying by yeah, maybe solidifying exactly what we're looking for, making this a more standardized thing that all coaches can use and then explore. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's the easiest one, I think, you know, relatively easy. It's not easy to do a study, but that's the easiest direction to take things immediately next. Mm-hmm. They also mentioned that they would like to see it uh, tried in real time rather yeah. than using video, which I think is, would be really valuable. Um mm-hmm. And, and something that I think could be really interesting, you know, if we can't rewind, if we can't, um, you know, if we're not seeing everything from the exact same angle, the same route a bunch of times in a row, I wonder if it changes things. So do you think that would reflect climbing performance or a coaching ability at that point though? You know what? That's a really great question. And I think it's always going to be a little of both, True, but I, I do think that 
the real-time usage of it is going to be even more dependent on the coaching ability. I agree. As opposed to uh, the climbing performance. I think that's mm-hmm. a variable that gets just massively, what's the word I'm looking for here, uh, compounded with it being done in real time. Mm-hmm. I guess, you know, we're talking about hypothetical study design. Maybe they just use the same coaches they've used through this whole study. So at least they're f- the study process. Mm-hmm. So at least they're familiar sure. with the process in the first part. But yeah, it'd be, it'd be wild to bring in someone who hasn't done any of this other stuff and then have that coach do real time, no rewinding, pick out what jumps out of you. And how do we put, you know, your subjective experience into this standardized model? Exactly. That's one of the things I would like to see actually is try it with some coaches who haven't been trained in the usage at all. Um, and then maybe even try it with people who are not climbers who get trained in the usage just to, Hmm. just to see, you know, how, how good is the training for this thing? Um, is it, is it something we can take somebody who's never climbed and teach them just as quickly as we could a regular coach and get similar results? Um, if you want to turn this into a commercial product down the road, that'd be a pretty uh, good thing to have to talk about your uh, product. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they also talk about they would modify it for other disciplines um, mm-hmm. like bouldering, trad climbing, um, things like that. And I think that's smart. I would love to see a bouldering version of this. Um, anything else you would like to see in future iterations of this? Mm, I think just where they're going to take things, honestly, next, like they mentioned what the next directions or research are to go. I think those are the ones that jump out at me. I think I would like to see more, more variance in the, not only routes, but also in the way the routes are approached. So I'd like to see it used not only with on-site attempts um, or not only one on-site attempt, but multiple on-site attempts at mm-hmm. different grades. Um, how does it change when it's a flash attempt and you've been given information, when the climber's been given information? And what's it look like when they've gotten to dial in the moves a handful of times? You know, mm-hmm. do Does it change when you look at a, a, a red point attempt where someone gets to rehearse those movements, do they automatically look like a better climber than they are? Um, I don't know. That's or do point. we have to adjust our measurement scale for a red point versus an onsite? So, or does pace become more explanatory in that case? Right. Yeah, really. Totally. It'll uh, throw a lot of wrenches into things and make things even more complex, but maybe illuminative in the same way. Yeah. What do you, what do you think this paper does not say? Uh, first of all, I think I mentioned it before. It does not say that this is the tool to use to assess climbing performance. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't, yeah, uh, that's the big one. Yeah. It also, you know, doesn't say that we can determine the best way to climb something or mm-hmm. that specific techniques are better than others. Um, I just don't think there's a way to say that uh, it definitely and not have it change when the next climber steps up. Mm-hmm. Also kind of along that line, I think it also doesn't say that there's only five components of climbing movement either. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. yeah, that's that's always a tricky thing to do is distill something down into its individual categories because you have to start saying, well, where does this fit? Where does this mm-hmm. fit? There's really no category where this thing fits at all. You know, and I've I've spent some time working on a project about 
thematic movement. So not talking about techniques at all, um, but talking more about even more broad categories of movement that are in this paper. And, and it's been an iterative process that's gone on in my head for a couple of years now, because there are always things that pop up that I'm like, oh, this doesn't fit in any of those categories I already have. Mm -hmm. Do I have to make a new category? You know, how does this work? So it's a, I think it's a really fantastic start. Yes, I agree with you. Yeah, I don't think it replaces the use of experience uh, and understanding. Um, does for me, it doesn't replace the methods I'm already using. Um, but I could see with some, you know, some working through some of the kinks and the bugs that this could be a good starting place. The same as we've talked about with. Uh, testing people's strength or their endurance uh, in various ways and that giving us a good place to to know what direction to go. I mean, and it makes sense too, right? Like, you know, our sport is honestly just now coming into a world of having a larger than small body of evidence uh, being published mm -hmm. about it. So, you know, we're not going to see these fully thought out trains of questioning that have come to the concrete or widely accepted result just yet. A lot of these were just seeing the starting points. And I think this is just another one of those starting points. Yeah. I think that's an important thing to remember because like you, I was almost immediately like, can't do it. Not going to happen. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm ready to bash this, but, but I think if we remember that it's a starting point, then it looks to me like they're asking really good questions. Sure. Um, I agree. Another thing that just occurred to me is that if you're a new coach, um, you know, and there are a lot of new climbing coaches as of 2020, you know, there are a lot of new coaches came into this industry and are working in this industry in various ways. And I think if you're a new coach, this looking at this paper, looking at this CMPAC can give you some other things to look at that you maybe haven't really thought about yet. Mm -hmm. um, I, in my experience, most new coaches start with the like straight arms, quiet feet, and then they start going and looking at, you know, your hips should always be turned, you know, right hip in. If you're reaching with your right arm, that's, that's the correct way to do movement. And, you know, there, there are these rules that everyone kind of goes through and then they realize those rules don't actually apply all the time. And, um, I think this is a really good way to get a bigger, more holistic view of what movement actually is um, as opposed that. to just individual techniques. So I think they did yeah. a, a really fantastic job with that. Yeah, I agree completely. Uh, anything else from this paper that stood out to you? There, there was one note in here. I'm pretty sure it was this paper. Let me look here. Um, I actually thought this was really interesting they say that um, there were no significant or meaningful differences between self-reported grade and the grade achieved, although there were slight over and under estimations in male and females respectively. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was really fascinating because there's been quite a bit of research in several fields showing that men tend to overestimate their ability, women tend to underestimate their ability, and even in a sport where we have 
pretty clear um, markers of what we have been able to do, it still holds true that men think we're stronger than we are, better than we are. Women don't think they're as strong or as good a climber as they actually are. So I just thought that was really Yeah, that is really interesting. I must have just completely missed the respectively part at the end of that. I thought, I interpreted that sentence as, uh, you know, some people overestimated, un- overestimated oh, some it. people underestimated. I didn't see realize that it was tied to, you know, the gender of the people. That's it's interesting for sure. Yeah, I actually just listened to a podcast um, with the woman who wrote the book, Men Explain Things to Me. Um, <laughs> it's it's the book that sparked the term mansplaining. And, and she cited quite a bit of research saying that uh, across fields, this happens. So I just find it fascinating that yeah. we, we are assigning grades and still men are like, nope, I'm better <laughs> than that grade says. Oh. And women are like, oh, I'm not quite as good as this grade says, you know. You know, always going to be the, the trick of trying to get objective concrete single integer numbers of ability for our sport right yep and and impossibility yeah <laughs> but, but we're trying to get there yeah all right you can find both paul and i all over the internets by following the links right there in your show notes you can find paul at his gym crux conditioning in chattanooga tennessee if you have questions comments or papers you'd like for us to take a look at hit us up at community.powercompanyclimbing.com don't forget to subscribe to the show leave us a review and please tell all of your friends who tell you that you're climbing something incorrectly, that you have the perfect podcast for them. We'll see you next week when we discuss several finger training protocols, their energy system contributions, and whether or not it means a damn thing for how we approach training. See you guys next week. It's done. You keep saying that and it's bullshit every time. Always. You know what? I'm done, okay? You and I, we're done. Breaking Beta is brought to you by Power Company Climbing and Crux Conditioning and is a proud member of the Plug Tone Audio Collective. For transcripts, citations, and more, visit powercompanyclimbing.com slash breaking beta. Let's not get lost in the who, what, and whens. The point is, we did our due diligence. Our music, including our theme song, Tumbleweed, is from legendary South Dakota band, Riff Lord. This is it. This is how it ends.
Don't not yo, yo.